Morning. How is everybody? Good? It's kind of one of those cloudy days that make you a little cloudy in your head. No? Yes? Or your coffee worked? Talk to me. Where are we? Well, we've been um, on this journey where we've been asking the question, what does it look like if we were to uh, live God's love out loud in all these various scenarios or settings that we experience in life. So we've talked about work and Sharon talked about friends and last week Mike talked about enemies. How many were here for that when Mike talked? It's a very good message, wasn't it? Very apropos. Mike told me that he is going to be listening in on this series. He said, so make sure that we say hi to Mike. So on the count of three, I want everyone to say hi, Mike. One, two, three. Hi, Mike. There you go, Mr. Bradley. He's always listening in, that guy. But you know, when you think about it, if, if we really um, have connected with this extravagant, eternal, everlasting, unstoppable love, something should happen, right? Something should be different. Something should change. And today what we're going to be talking about is what does it look like in marriage? This little light of ours. And, you know, some of you here this morning are uh, married. Some are not. Some are about to be married. But I think what we talk about today is you can appropriate in any setting. But we're really going to be talking about this idea of marriage because I don't know if there's any grander stage for love to be displayed. For example, consider these people. Look at this couple. Do they not look happy? Meet John and Ann Batar. John is 102 years old. Get this, he still drives. And he doesn't live in Minnesota, so we're good. He says, I still drive, though not quite as fast as the day we got married. His wife, Ann, is a young 98 years old. And they have been married... Uh, almost 84 years, 84 years. And so when you see a couple like that, you go, oh, and look at them. They just look so fun. And, and so, of course, when you sit with a couple like that, you say, well, wh- what advice would you give us? And this is what they say. First of all, it's interesting, these couples, and if you go to Wikipedia and you look, there, there's a list of living couples who have been married for at least 70 years, and there's a remarkable number of people. And um, then there's a list of, you know, globally who's there. But um, so the, the people that have been interviewed, I, I've kind of did a, a search once I got gone. And it's always interesting. You know, the older and wiser you get, the less you say. Is this not true, people? So people, they're expecting them to kind of go on for four hours about the secrets to a happy, long-term marriage. And they, they say very little, but what they say is important. John and Ann say, don't hold a grudge, forgive each other. Don't hold a grudge, forgive each other. But then we go, well, yes, because we, we hear the innate goodness of that. And we go, but how? How do we do that? How do we really live a life where we don't hold grudges and we really freely forgive each other? Now, here's the uh, world record holders right now. This is... Uh, Karam and Katari Chan, they're in England. Um, He uh, 
is 109, and she is 102, and they've been married almost 90 years. What? I don't know. So anyhow, they say, what was interesting is she had to flee. She was promised, she was pledged to a guy 20 years older than her, when she was just coming into her teen years, and so they ran away and got married. So they're an adventurous couple. And here's what they say. When they say, what's your secret? She says, we know that we're blessed. We know that we're blessed. And we are eternally grateful for God. Remember that. Blessing and gratitude. And they're certainly living their love out loud. Because when you see couples like this, you go, well, it's love. It's real love. I remember when Betsy and I were in Northfield, Minnesota, and we were getting ready to get married. And um, it was really interesting. We got our rings. You know, I was just... Uh, studying for ministry and didn't have two nickels to rub together. And so we were just praying our way through wedding preparation. And God was providing in so many different ways. And we had kind of rummaged together some money that we thought, okay, we'll buy some rings and if we ever need to upgrade them. So we had been talking about our money and our rings and we were in Fred's Ideal Cafe, which was right next door to this jewelry store. And so uh, we ordered coffee because that's all we could afford. And we held hands and we prayed. And when I said amen, I opened my eyes and here's this guy's head sticking into our booth. <laughs> and I was like, wow. He goes, excuse me. And I go, okay. He goes, I couldn't help but overhear your prayer. And I thought, okay, this is weird. And then he says, I, I just want to offer you something. He said, I am the guy who owns the jewelry store next store. And I love your love is what he said. And he said, I would like to give you discounted rings and then he, unbeknownst to us, he wrote our life verse, as for me and my house will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 24, inside our rings for us. So that was cool. But then when we went to pick up our rings, we walked in the store, and as I walk in the store, there's this older couple hunched over the glass case, arm in arm, and they're giggling. They sound like school kids. And, and uh, so I just thought he was taking care of them. I listened. They had been married 70 years. And they were getting new rings. And, and I, I heard the, the guy, a big, tall Norwegian farmer. And I remember him telling the jeweler, he said, you know, uh, we figured if, if we've been married 70 years, we've outlived those rings. We need some new ones for the next 70. And I thought, boy, that's the spirit. That is the spirit. But when I saw that, you know, you just, you go, wow. I don't know if there's a grander stage for enduring, persevering love. 70 years, you know, together, and these people that have been 80 and almost 90 years, and it's just crazy. Now, I know, I know when I talk to a group like this, I know that some here are, they could be in a difficult place. My heart goes out to you. You could be in a place where, you know, the marriage fell apart, and I, I understand and appreciate this is, a, this is a no shame zone here. And as we talk about this, you know, Part of when you feel the heartache after something like that, you're acknowledging the eternal goodness surrounding marriage. And you feel loss, and you, and you should. It's a, it's a terrible hard loss. But I, I want you to know my heart is with you, and this is a shame-free zone. So I want us to, to really think about today, and the danger for me is I've spent three decades studying love and attachment and marriage, and so when it, something like this comes together, I just have myriads of stuff to cut through. And I, I, so I was 
praying on my bike ride yesterday, I said, you know, Lord, I, help me to say what would be helpful because I, I don't really know. The Lord has given me four things I feel like we should talk about today and offer you. And the first one is this, and it's going to sound rather trite. God wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless your marriage. He's in it to bless you. And you go, yeah, 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 I understand that, Mark. And we race past it. But I don't think we understand what he means when he says, I want to bless you and your marriage. You see, at the start of all things, he brings it together and he says, he says, God bless them. And he said, be fruitful. And he goes on to talk about their call. But what does it mean when God blesses you? It means literally that he is putting his spiritual hand on you. It's an impartation. It means to say in the covenant, all that I am, all that I have is yours. And in this marriage, I want to pour in and pour out whatever you need. You can bring that need up to the storehouses of heaven and it's yours. It's yea and amen. In my name, it's yours. I want to give you whatever you need whenever you need. That's the blessing. You don't want to race past that, do you? I remember my grandpa Harry, who was a crazy guy. He used to come racing across and he used to do crazy things. He had a little VW bug and we lived in a, a court. So there was, of course, the, the court partition and Grandpa Harry was crazy because he'd, he'd ride up there and he'd, he'd put his two wheels on the court and then he'd, he'd kind of rock the car so he'd be racing around for a little while on two wheels. <laughs> he'd come out. He's a crazy guy, a wild grandpa. I don't know why my mom even let us get in the car with this guy. Except maybe she's thinking, maybe he'll take him away. But anyhow... He used to take us to a department store, you know, and there weren't all these department stores, but he'd take us to this big department store. And then you know what it's like when you're a little kid. That, you know, you're, you're like looking up at these, uh, these aisles, and there's, it seems like, endless toys. And then he would say, pick whatever you want. And you're like, wow. And immediately my sister Lisa would start to lobby about, can we pick two? And then, you know. But... What God is saying is, come into my storehouse. Look at this incredible, eternal, everlasting array. All of that is yours. It's yours. I want to bless you. And so when you think about how creation rolls since God started it, I mean, we're kind of dealing with this right now. The seasons are changing, aren't they, people? Yeah. Moment of silence. You know, we're going from summer into fall, and then into an eternal winter. <laughs> and we know it, but you know, what, what causes that flow? Why does it work that way? It's because the everlasting has put this cycle, and it, it sustains the life and the trajectory of his creation. And in the same way, he wants to sustain the, the trajectory and the creation of your marriage. He wants to bless it. It's like money in the bank. You have to draw on it. So the first thing is God wants to bless. So here's the second thing. So invite him in. Open wide the door. This is why there's billboards that have this up. Love the wedding. How about inviting me into the marriage? Now we want to think about this. This is really important. What does it look like to really invite God into our marriage? I have so many people that I've met over all the years and you know, they, they, they're thinking 
that because I'm a Christian and she's a Christian that it's, a, it's, it's gonna work. It's a Christian thing. But there needs to be an active daily invitation. So one way that we activate this is by praying together. In 1993, the Gallup poll revealed that among married couples who attend church together, the divorce rate happened to be the same as people outside the church, one out of two. That was really bad news for us. I remember when that came out. And then it goes on to say, however, among married couples who pray together, the divorce rate is one out of 1,153. Much better odds. Much better odds. One out of 1,153, leave it to the Gallup poll to get it right down to the number. And, and here's the deal. And this is, again, you guys, when you hear this, this is not to shame you. It's to invite you. It's not to shame you. But praying together enlists the power. It, it, it opens up the understanding that we really are being blessed by God. So when Betsy and I got married, we had uh, a couple, Ned and Sue Barubi, who began to mentor us. And, and I, I just knew, with the family that I came from, I needed help. And I would look for anyone that looked like they had a good marriage. And I, I would say, would you meet with me for coffee? And I would ask all kinds of questions. And Ned took me under his wing. And this is how Ned taught us to pray as a couple. And I offer this to you. He says, here's what, Ned, here's what Sue and I do. Uh, uh, tonight, for example, Sue will bring three things that she's going to pray for. And she will introduce them one at a time. And she'll wait when she's done it if I want to add my prayer to it. And then the next night, I bring three things. And back and forth. And so for 33 years, Betsy and I have done that. Now, I'm a little concerned for Betsy because she seems to be losing some of her mental capacity and she can't count to three anymore. She goes, 13, 14, 15. And I start to mimic. I'm so spiritual in those moments. But you see, this is what we've noticed over the years is that, number one, we've had the joy of seeing our prayers answered. And when you have five kids, you have a lot of prayers, right? Can I get an amen? We still have a lot of prayers. <laughs> and, and the other thing is, you get to hear the other person's heart in the presence of the Lord, which is really helpful. And there's so many times where I go away and I go, oh, I didn't realize she was concerned about that or she was carrying that, or she was wondering about that. And it brought us together. So pray together, because it has immense power. The other thing about bringing God into it is imagine asking the two questions that we ask here. What are our two questions, people? What is God saying, saying and? So Imagine one of those moments where it's like this and like this and like this and you decide, I'm going to step back and I'm going to go, what are you saying? And what would you like me to do? Do you think that would change the trajectory of that conversation? <laughs> it would. Is God there? Yes. Are we aware he's there? Not always. And we lose track of ourselves and we, we lose our way. I remember I was sitting, this was way back in Eden Prairie and I was sitting in this couple's home and boy, you know, sometimes it's real life and their voices were escalating and 
I was trying to bring it back down, and I, I kept saying, you know, could we slow down? Could we slow down? They couldn't even hear me because they were so loud. And so, and then the phone rang. And this, this is so, so God because about 20 minutes ago, the husband said, I can't control my anger. And he was losing control, and it was escalating. It was going, the phone rings, and all of a sudden, he goes from like, wah, 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 wah. hello. <laughs> Busted, right? And I, so we sat and we talked, and I said, well, what would it be like if you realize in this moment, you know, there's God who created this other person and you, and you enter his presence mindful of that. So God wants to bless your marriage. Invite the blessing. Open the doors and pray. Does that make sense? Now, we're going to do some real fun stuff now. The third thing that I want to talk to you about is God is perfect. Your mate is not. Now, before you poke them in the side, remember, are you perfect? And so... What we realize is that in this relationship, we're supposed to be practicing this perfecting love from the one who loves perfectly, and it it doesn't go all that well. Why? Why doesn't it go all that well? Well, one of the big problems is that we see the world as we are, not as the whole world is. And for all of us, this is what the worldview looks like, me in the center, when, when life is rolling according to Mark Spencer, it is a great world. It is heaven on earth. It's the way life should be because it's happening all according to Mark. And I love it. But how often does that happen? Especially in marriage, right? And what's interesting to me is that uh, one of the, the biggest areas of relational study right now is attraction. What, what, on the, what on earth made Betsy marry Mark? How could she be attracted to this guy? Certainly wasn't my hairdo. You know, so um, one of the things that they've, they've noticed is opposites really do attract. And it's, it's like inside of us, what we're doing is we're surfing through the world and we're looking for people that we, we have an attraction to initially. They, they intrigue us. And then there's something about how they are, that we, we need that. And so oftentimes what happens is a spender marries a saver. A racer marries a pacer. A morning dove marries a night owl. And, and so these opposites attract. And, and so I just was talking to a young couple uh, who had been married now about a year and a half and I did their pre-marriage, did their service. We were talking about it. And initially when we were talking they were talking about these oppositional gifts. And, and, and he was saying, I, I like it. I like how she organizes our time. I like how she helps me get organized. And so when we were talking about it, after a year and a half, he goes, when will the organization stop? <laughs> and I said, mmm. And you know, all of a sudden, when you put on the rings and you're living under the same roof and you're sharing all this time, what you feel like is this. You're different. And the very thing that brought you in was the fact that she organized you. She's like, you're different. She's not different. She's the same organizer she was before she put the rings on. Now what's happening, though, is you feel like she stays up at night 
plotting how to drive you crazy. And she's gonna collect the life insurance or something. You know, and so when we, when we hit this, this is what it looks like. Initially, the attractions is like, oh, I love when you organize me, baby, you know? And then, stop organizing me. I can do this too. You stay over there and I'll stay over there. You see, the oppositional gifts, they're to work like our body works. Yeah, see, there's an amen. So stand, stand up. Go ahead and stand up. Now, sit down. You feel like you're in one of those churches. One more time, stand up. It's good. And sit down. Now, the, the only reason you can do that is because your muscles will work in opposition. When you stand, your quads are enlisted. Up you go. When you sit, they need to relax. And, and that's a picture of what marriage needs to look like. And the more oppositional your gifts, the wider the base. The, the bigger the toolbox you have. But you need someone to coordinate that opposition. You need the Lord to direct how that works. And, and so this is why this passage comes in. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable. I will make them. I will do this. One of the funniest stories I, I heard was uh, a bride was getting ready to get married. It was the big day. It was Saturday. And she was like out there and everyone was in here waiting for her to make her entrance. It's, it's a fairly intense time. And she was really nervous and she said, Dad, I, I don't know if I can make it. He says, honey, honey, take a breath. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you, when you walk in, I want you just to look at the aisle and say, aisle. Just say it out loud. Aisle. And then as you near coming around to make it down the center aisle, just think about the change. So aisle change. And then as you get to go down the center aisle, look at him. And so as she made her way in, what the congregation heard her say is, I'll change him. I'll change him. And so oftentimes in a relationship, Knowingly or unknowingly, that's kind of what our quest is. I'm going to make them into my image. And I'm so glad that Betsy is different. I'd have had a heart attack a long time ago if I did not marry such an oppositional person that really helped me pace. And this idea of I will make is important. You know, as much as God loves you and created you, he, he loved and created your spouse. Everyone in the room is loved and created and they bring something. And, and so this idea of um, I will make is important. We need to rest and trust the Lord in that. So uh, Alender and Longman, two authors that write about marriage, said this, marriage requires a radical commitment to love our spouses as they are, comma, while longing for them to become what they are not yet. You see, all the great passages about marriage in the New Testament begin with submit out of reverence to Christ. Submit to Christ. Submit to the King, the Creator, the one who knows our design, who knows the way. Submit to Him. And submission, play with the word. Sub means behind the scenes. Mission is your mission. My behind the scenes mission with God as my leader and as my coach and director is to 
build up Betsy to be all that she's designed to be. And hers is like that for me. She's got a bigger job. But, you know, we're working. We're working, and we're working with the one who will make. And he, he says, I will make the helper suitable. Now, the root word to suitable literally means opposite. It means you don't want two of the same halves. You want two opposite halves, making a whole. And so it's the intention of God to offer you all these gifts that come from another person. And when you find yourself bucking that, you're bucking the blessing of God. You're you're bucking that. And the last thing that we, we always need to come with the awareness is that it's not good for us to be alone. We need the other person. It's one of the things that I continue to learn over and over again in life is I need others. I need others. And man, do I need Betsy. I need her. I would have not made it through this most recent season of fatigue had it not been for my wife's prayers and care. Man, she was there. The last thing that I want to talk to you about then, given all these things, is that as, as we are moving through marriage and as we go through all these different seasons, there's an important thing for you to understand. We don't fall in love. We don't fall in love. We fall into attraction. We learn love. Are you listening? We learn it. One of the reasons it's so important that we, as Christians, live our love out loud is that because we should be billboards of what love really looks like. And the world is losing this. They're losing this because they're always looking at screens and they're disconnected. They're, they're, they're not connecting relationally anymore. When was the last time that someone came over to your house, knocked on the door and said, can I borrow a cup of sugar? When was the last time that someone spontaneously came over and said, let's go get coffee now? And our world is, is getting frayed. The only hope of the world making it and, and continuing to be somewhat human is that Christians will begin to demonstrate what real love looks like because love is learned and it's caught. You know it when you see it. You know it when you felt it. You know it when it's been exercised and offered to you. You know it. And when that happens, your life changes. And so we're always learning love. And so as we learn love, what we need to do is be happy learners. All learning goes better with joy. When I work with people that have test anxiety, what we, what we do is we don't focus on the anxiety. We focus on places that begin to move them back to a place of joy, to a place of confidence. And when you think about the staying power of joy, you think about Moses' persevering joy. You think about Joseph. You think about the Apostle Paul. You see, joy is a pervasive sense of well-being, and it's sustained by God's sovereign goodness and care. I can have peace because my God has me by the back of the collar. And he has promised in my marriage that he will bless it. And everything that I need is there in the kingdom. This is why Jesus tells his students when he talks about love, he says, listen, I've told you this so that my joy might be in you. And he's talking to them about love. He's talking to them about loving them like he loves, which is important. Now, as we move into this, you've got to remember, you have to ask yourself when you're practicing love, what is the place that you're working from? Are you working on your own strength? Are you working under pressure and you should love them? 
Or are you working from a place of joy? Because real Christian love looks like this. I love you equals I God you. You see, God is love, which means God equals love. And when you think about this, this is the calling. And it says, so when I say to someone, I love you, what I'm saying is, I God you. I want to bring into your life what God wants to bring into your life. And it's a huge order. You see, if you don't buy this, then just take it right out of Jesus' mouth. A new command I give to you, love one another. How? How? Is that a tall order? It is, isn't it? You just go, what? That's how he wants to love? And then you think about learning love as Christians. We think, oh, well, this will be fun, Jesus. It's just going to be so much fun to learn love with you. It'll be like, la, 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 la. But that's not our experience in marriage, is it, people? How it feels in marriage is this. Ah! Up and down and all around. You're like, oh, man, God, are you sure? What are you? Oh, wow. Which is why he says plainly, I love, you know, how, how do people say I don't understand the Bible? Look at this next verse. How do you not understand this? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. What do you think that means? Go ahead, look it up in the Greek. And especially when you're trying to do love, especially when you define love as I God you, how in the world is Mark Spencer going to pull that off? Which is why Paul says the only thing that counts, the only thing is faith expressing itself through love. You see, apart from God, we're, we're in trouble. But with God, all things are possible. As we team with God, as we go, there's this sense of this endless supply that looks like this, that there's me and I feel like, oh, how am I going to do this? But God says, listen, I, I bless you. As I've loved you now, I want you to love the other person. Got married in 1982. I had been a Christian about, well, it was less than two years. My family thought that I had joined a cult. They said, I, you know, I can't believe you're getting married. They, they couldn't track with it. The changes were too much. And I get it. Now as a parent, I kind of get it. It must have been really scary for them. So here's the deal. At our wedding, I didn't know about this until years later my brother told me. He said they were actually, they actually took a pool and they were taking bids on how long it would last. That's how much confidence they had in Mark Spencer's ability to love. And you know what? I don't blame them. I've told you about my track record. Not so good. But that track record was minus the eternal, powerful, all-loving, all-knowing blessing of God. The longest they say we would make it was a year. That was the longest. It's been over 33 years now. Our marriage has been really the only marriage that's been able to, to sustain and to do well. That is not because I'm a, the wizard of love. That is because I have a father who loves me with an everlasting love. And he knows 
And when I die, I don't care if I've written books or have some kind of fame. All I care about is that I would be a good husband. Because I know if I'm a good husband, I'll probably be a good dad. And that's all I care about. I don't care about anything else. I care about you guys, but you get me, right? And, and so he's there. And he wants to display through us to a very hungry world that's very confused about marriage, this is what it looks like. And I invite you to take the little I've offered into the presence of God and lean on his eternal blessing and let love be lived out loud. I want to also just tell you that I'm very grateful for John and Laura Moline right here, if you guys would just wave. They are the champions of marriage ministry here. And um, there's a couple of things that I just want to invite you married folks to um, September 18th. It's a Friday night. We're going to do a date night. That's at 7, right? 7 o'clock here. There'll be a sign-up next Sunday for that. And then uh, next Sunday, there'll also be a sign-up for this marriage class that they've been teaching, the story of marriage, which is fantastic. And I just want to say, the time to take a class like that is there's two times, when your marriage is struggling and when your marriage is good. It's like there's two times to praise the Lord. When life is good and when it's not. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes when you go in there, you're going to learn some things. And John and Laura and, and I have talked about this book, and it's tremendous information. So I want to extend that invite. Would you pray with me? This is always a, a sensitive subject, and we're about ready to take our offering. And, I, you know, I, I just encourage you to offer up What's floating in your heart? You know, I really meant it. Some of you have, uh, you're, maybe you're in a struggle right now and some of you are in a hard spot. This is a good time to invite God in, to pray. Some of you have pain in your past and same thing. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. So Lord, right now in this moment, would you come? Well, you're already here, but I guess we're, we're really transferring our fullest attention to you. Thank you for loving us. And would you continue to help us to live our love out loud in marriage, in our families, in our friendships, in our workplaces. Thank you that your love is up to the task. And when we face the challenge, you are there to give us what we need. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.